Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Bushby and Thompson on postwrestling.com and I'm Martin Bushby and joining me is the main man himself, Andrew Thompson. Andrew, it's been absolutely ages since we've, I feel like, since we've done a podcast together. Obviously, we did the, uh, there was the quiz at the end of the year and then obviously you doing the Lord's work covering for me for my birthday last month. So how's it going, mate? Long time no speak. Martin, it's good to hear from you, man. It's always a pleasure. I mean, I miss doing the shows with you, my brother. It's always good. I, you know what? First of all, first and foremost, I didn't get to tell you this. I mean, I, you know, I told you uh, via message and stuff like that, but you know, we audio to audio right now. I want to wish you a happy belated birthday, man. Thanks, and happy belated Appreciate birthday. it. Appreciate <laughs> it, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it it was cool. Um, you know, sort of. Uh, I guess, you know, continuing on the show uh, in January. So, you know, that was fun uh, getting to do that with uh, Jeremy Lambert and then. But now we're back. The the duo is back. And we have a very, very special guest joining us. The MMA legend, Martin. The MMA legend over at Post Press. Legend. <laughs> the, the man himself. MMA. Or, or, my, or my, is, is it MM Marcotte or is it MMA Marcotte? I don't know which one it is. But either one, either one is cool as hell. The man himself. Eric Makat, you, you can check out all his work at Post Wrestling. He literally covers everything concerning MMA. The dude has some of the most thorough reports out there that you will see. Highly recommend Eric if, you know, you're looking for your MMA coverage or your dose of MMA, whatever you need. The man covers everything. Eric, welcome back to the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. A repeat guest. How many people can say that, right? Indeed, that's a that's a notch to put to put on your uh, on your wall there, Eric. But I think Andrew missed two things importantly from that um, introduction. Best selling T shirt on the poster, hey. in ways there, putting Sudbury, Ontario on the map, uh, Eric. Yeah, really, really glad to have you back for this one, mate. Because I know you were talking off air. It's a it's a big uh, family holiday in um, in Canada, isn't it? Isn't it family day? What what what's that all about? Oh yeah, it's a it's a huge, very complicated holiday. Actually, it's not self-explanatory in the slightest. Uh, no, this is just a it, it's a day off for everybody. That's what it is. I, it's a pretty recent. I think they just uh, incorporated this one maybe in the last fifteen years or so. But uh, extra day off always appreciated. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I know, like, um, like obviously, you know, you read these things that, like, you know, Canada's sort of like number two for living conditions behind sort of like Sweden or Switzerland or something out of the world and stuff like that. But I didn't know they gave people off a day. They were like, oh, you know what we need in Canada? People don't see enough of their families. Let's just have a day where everyone could just relax and see the family. Sounds absolutely amazing. I wish we had something like that in the UK. I know you probably do as well, uh, wanting something like that in America, aren't you? Yeah, that would actually be cool. A whole a whole family day. What, 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 what's family day looking like for you, Eric? Uh, my family day is quiet because you know what I said? I said to hell with my family. I want to <laughs> jump on here with Andrew and Martin and talk yes. about documentaries from 17 years ago. <laughs> I'm sure that went down well with your uh, parents. Uh, I'm sure they were like, yes, we completely understand. But um, as far as sort of like Andrew mentioned, you sort of like, you know, you're more known for, you know, your MMA writings and your reviews and things like that. Um, but as far as your wrestling fandom goes, like, do you watch equal amounts wrestling in MMA or do you more lean in towards MMA in terms of like wrestling? What sort of stuff are you watching these days? I'd say I watch a fairly equal amount. I mean, like, it's it's tough to say because an MMA card is very long. Like the average UFC card <laughs> is six to seven hours. Same with Bellator. PFL is about seventeen hours. Uh, 
with wrestling right now, I'm keeping up on AEW week to week basis, and I kind of check in with the big WWE or New Japan events. So watching mm. a decent amount, but not everything. I'm assuming you got into sort of like combat style stuff by initially getting into wrestling in the first place. Then. Yes, yeah. So I was into wrestling first, and then it was Brock Lesnar going to the UFC that mm. kind of even let me know what the UFC is. There were some names I was familiar with beforehand being. Being Canadian, I knew who George St. Pierre was. Uh, Chuck Liddell, big star at the time. Anderson Silva, big star at the time. But it was Brock Lesnar that convinced me to uh, check it out myself. Yeah, I think he was like a big crossover star, weren't he, for a lot of wrestling fans, uh, turning them on to MMA and stuff like that. But um, I suppose before we get into this documentary from 17 years ago, um, I'm just going to get a quick plug in. As most people who listen to British Wrestling Experience and Grapple all know, um, Got a live show in Leeds on April the 3rd at the Northern Monk Refectory in Leeds. We're going to have a, a live British wrestling experience, a live grapple, and a live up next because Mr. David Fortman's back in his home country of the UK. So does for that one are going to be at 3.30. Show is 5 until 7 p.m. Just come hang out with us, have a laugh. If you want to stay even longer, we're going to be watching for his uh, sins. We're going to be watching WrestleMania also that night. So if you want to have a full sort of like afternoon and evening out, then all info and tickets, grappleapp.com forward slash support. I just thought I'd get that quick plug in there before hey. uh, before we get onto the documentary itself. Mark, can I, can I just can I just uh, make a quick announcement real quick? We, we sort of talked about it off air. I just wanted to, wanted to bring this up. Uh, Neil Flanagan, if you are listening, I just want you to know that if you are attending the live show for the British Wrestling Experience as up next slash up next, I will be there and we are throwing hands <laughs> in person. And I want you to know this. Martin's laughing right now, but I'm serious. Neil, I'm telling you, <laughs> when I see you, it's on site. Don't don't look at me funny. Don't ask no questions. Just get up and put your hands up. I'm telling you, it's on. I want my rematch in person. We not doing the up that we, we we matter of fact, we're gonna do the we're gonna do the original up next. And then we're gonna do this in person, cause Neil, you, 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 Neil hurt me, man. He turned his back on me, and now I got to pay the price. So Neil, I will see you in person in the UK. Remember that. <laughs> and that's all I got to say. That's all I got to say, Mark. Amazing. I always loved that you come out of these up next games with like a massive beef with somebody. <laughs> it was like way. Then when did did Eric? Did he? Was he? Were you beefing with Eric at one point? And then like now Neil. No, so it seems like <laughs> there are so many people beefing with me. Andrew saw the line. He <laughs> thought about getting into it, then he decided, ah, uh, no one's yeah, messing with Neil. I'll, I'll go take him <laughs> on instead. Hey, hey, Mark, you, hey, Barter, you got to find your way out to these up next calls, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got you got you got to find your way onto it somehow. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, though, no, but nobody's taking those tag belts off uh, Eric and Nate anytime soon because oh, we're, we're coming up at a year as from Nate. <laughs> Man, the, 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 the tag team division is defunct right now. Nate, Nate, <laughs> Nate, Nate, and Eric over there holding the tag team division hostage. A hostage. We have thrown <laughs> away all challengers. Listen, between my uh, immense knowledge of random trivia facts concerning the likes of uh, Dolph Ziggler and Vladimir Kozlov, Nate Milton, uh, the most charismatic man in the post-wrestling universe, we are unbeatable and we will remain unbeatable. I remember yeah. when me and uh, the Professor Chris challenged for him and then Davey was like, oh, well... Um were we drawing or something like that and then he was like oh well you can have a promo battle between each other and i was like hmm who's going to win this one i wonder 
I was like, get at him, Chris. Go on, tell Nate what you think about him. He was like, um, no. <laughs> hey, hey, Eric, real quick, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, on the MMA front, I saw the keep, like, I, 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 most of my knowledge sort of mostly comes through like social media and what I see through stuff like that. And from, of course, what you, uh, what you, John and, um, Phil sure talk doing the site, um, stuff like that. Like what, what is the, like, what would you say is like the interest around the, uh, like the March 5th bout between a Hoy Masvidal and, uh, Kobe Covington? Like, do you, is there like a great amount of interest in that? Cause I mean, those are like two very, uh, you know, d- d- despite, you know, uh, I, I, I would say a lot of people's, uh, feelings about Kobe Covington. I, I think that him and Jorge Masvidal are like very, uh, polarizing you know sort of athletes within the uh mma slash ufc you know world like is it like is there like a great amount of interest in that yeah they definitely have the star power they've had this feud that's gone back years now uh in terms of general interest i feel like it's still kind of hard to gauge where we're at right now uh perhaps on fight week we'll get Mm -hmm. a better picture on what kind of numbers it'll do on pay-per-view but for now, I, it doesn't feel like a huge fight, to me at least. Uh, perhaps that'll change in the next week. But right now, it, it, it's it's a solid fight. I'm excited for it. But it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, a, a show that's going to do a million buys. For sure. And then, uh, yeah, I'll say, <laughs> Masvidal, Tony Khan, uh, he you know, openly said that he wants to get him in and, you know, get him in the ring one time for, you know, for a match in AEW. So, you know, you never know. After this one, you know, if he comes away with a W, might want to try to capitalize on that, get him in a match. Cause you know we 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 not gonna get our you know Brandy Rose Page Van Zant match you know it don't seem like that's gonna happen anytime soon. Uh, so still so unfortunate. Perhaps uh, <laughs> we we can open up the the rest of the forbidden doors. You know we'll have Jorge Masvidal in there with Udro. Uh, perhaps I feel like people would be excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> what a combination! Udro <laughs> so, <laughs> Moving away from MA, and obviously today we are talking from 2005, the uh, WWE produced wrestling documentary Bret Hart, The Best There Is, The Best There Was, and The Best There Ever Will Be. And um, obviously, Bret's done loads with WWE now, but um, it's interesting that this documentary at the time in 2005 was the first thing that he'd done on camera with WWE since the Montreal Screwjob in 97. And, you know, obviously now he's been in the Hall of Fame, had that match if you can call it that at WrestleMania and, and a ton of other stuff he's paid from for WWE. I mean, obviously I lived through the most of this, you know, being sort of like a kid into a teenager, you know, as a huge wrestling fan when Brett was on top in WWE. I mean, your guys' fandoms, most of his best stuff was done and gone before you two even started watching wrestling. I mean, Andrew, will go for you first. Did you go back and watch much Brett Hart stuff or is it just sort of like his legacy from seeing documentaries like this that you mainly know him from? Uh, man, you, you you had to go back and see some Bret Hart stuff. Like he's one of the most like renowned, like heralded wrestlers out there. And I I think at a very, I would say very early on in my sort of wrestling fandom, we hear a lot about Bret Hart, and it's it's kind of very difficult to like even just in general. Like when you hear a lot of stuff about anyone in a certain sport or genre, it's like it, it would be very difficult to not at least want to go check out what this individual did and see what they did in real time. You can even relate that back to. Uh, like I, I didn't get to see Jordan play in his prime years, but you hear so like her, you hear so much about him. Like I'm talking about, like mm. speaking from that that tense that I'm that time spent that I'm speaking about. It like it's it's like literally impossible to not want to go back and see uh, some of those full length games that he played. And you know, it's re- relating back to Bret Hart, it was kind of the same thing. You know, you just, you just gotta had you, you had to see for yourself like what the big thing was about, and and you know, it it was definitely not over exaggerated. 
What about you, Eric? Obviously, you know, um, obviously, I don't think there's any argument that, you know, he's probably sort of like the biggest name coming out of Canadian wrestling. Was it someone that you'd heard about growing up or was it something that you got into when you got into wrestling? Uh, definitely when I got into wrestling, but I got into wrestling at such a young age that it's kind of uh, entwined. And my, my thoughts would just echo Andrews. Yeah, he was such a he's someone that even though, you know, by the time I was born, Bret Hart was out of the WWF. Wow. Like, yeah, that, yeah that, was, that was all done. But he's such a well-regarded figure in the history of the company that he's somebody that I've watched a lot of his matches back as well. It's so funny because as a kid, you know, obviously they, they constantly talk about him, WWE, you know, he's this Canadian hero and everyone in Canada knows him. And I remember going to Florida on holiday when I was like 10, 11 and um, there were some Canadians in the same hotel as us um, in Orlando, and I was talking to them about Bret Hart, and they didn't have a clue what I was talking about, and I was so <laughs> shocked because I, I believed everything WWE had rammed into my uh, into my head about him, you know, him being the biggest name in Canada and what. So I was absolutely shocked. That was quite an eye opener for me. But as far as the documentary goes, it, it could have been very different. So, um, obviously, we all remember the self destruction of, of Ultimate Warrior, you know. Uh, a hatchet job of a DVD where everyone got everything off their chest about how much they hated Ultimate Warrior. And WWE had originally planned to call this screwed the Bret Hart story where like apparently they were going to do something similar to the Warrior um, DVD. And apparently there is footage of Hulk Hogan out there, you know, slagging Bret off for that original documentary. But thankfully, you know, that, that you know, Bret did get involved in this documentary and um, and we didn't get screwed the Bret Hart story because I can only imagine how awful that would have been but um, I mean to start off it's quite unique for this DVD because we actually get Vince McMahon himself at the start you know thanking Bret for his you know his big contribution and saying like what a great wrestler he is and I thought this was quite a weird way to open the documentary Andrew yeah it was definitely uh, weird and unique to say the least about Vince McMahon you know saying that you know what he said brad put his personal they they together collectively or he said brad put his uh, personal differences aside you know to come and make the documentary happen and uh well when did brad come? he brad came back like five years after this drop after this came out like he came what was that 2010 yeah he returned yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah he came back like five years after this happened so yeah but uh, de- definitely to your point martin it was a sort of you know unique to vince to come on and say yeah we put our personal differences aside and you know we made this documentary it's funny because obviously... voice. <laughs> 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 um, it's funny because um, obviously, you know, in growing up in the Hart family, you know, this famous family with Stu Hart, and you know, we've all heard the stories about Stu Hart and the training in the dungeon and stuff like that. But I kind of get the sense watching him at the start of this, he wasn't really that passionate about wrestling. He kind of goes into sort of like his amateur days in high school, and he, he kind of feels like he's only doing it because he, he wants to impress his dad, and he, and he wins some tournaments and stuff, and he says when he, he gets like sort of like this medal or this chain, and he presents it to his dad, and he could see that that changed their relationship because his dad was really proud of him. And then he goes on to say, you know, he was having um, problems with his weight, you know, he, he was like losing weight and stuff, and he, at college, they wanted him to take part in the Commonwealth Games, and he didn't really want to do that, but to sort of like, you know, placate his daddy, he decided to join the family business, which of course is Stampede Wrestling, which is, uh, you know, obviously 
quite um, well known now from all the tapes that have come out of, you know, Dynamite Kid and the like. And um, it seemed Brett only really joined that. You know, I get the sense from this documentary. I don't know about you, Eric, that Brett wasn't that bothered about wrestling when he was younger. He just kind of did it to placate his dad and, and keep his dad on side. Yeah, whenever we hear Brett talking about his childhood getting into amateur wrestling and getting into professional wrestling, it does seem like he does everything with the intention of impressing his dad. And then as we get as we go through his career, we 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 start to see how that changes and his goals become very different, as well as his own thoughts on what his accomplishments mean. And and like yeah. we sort of uh, we, we sort of saw like in the beginning, like how Martin mentioned, uh, Martin, you both you and. Uh, both Martin and Eric mentioned like how about, you know, Brett wanting to oppress his dad. Like he got very uh, emotional at the start, uh, at the beginning or, or somewhat emotional, you know, when speaking about how he wanted to, you know, win his dad over and, you know, very, like very much oppress him, like you guys said. So I think that his father's approval, like meant such a great deal, um, you know, to him. And, and what, what was it like, you know, this, this documentary was released in 05. So but his, his dad, Stu passed away, like, what was that two years before that, two years prior? Yeah, 2003, so, um, yeah. Yeah, 2003. So, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure that's some still somewhat fresh in his head. I don't think you ever really get over losing, you know, any family member. But uh, but yeah, it, it was very evident that Brett, you know, his w- w- sort of winning his father over and showing his father, you know, what he could do and, you know, how he could adapt to this, you know, this thing that you know, the family seemingly love, family all love was like very, very important to him. Yeah, exactly. Because then he, he talks about getting stampede and just doing referee stuff. And he, he's very conscious because he brings it up a few times that he don't want to be typical promoters somewhere, you know, because your dad was running the territory, you got put over immediately, you know, kind of like Bill Watts in uh, with his son Eric and stuff in WCW and the like. And he also talks about some of the Japanese talent that um, helped train him, Mr. Hito, Mr. Sakurada. And it's funny showing, because you see a lot of clips from Stampede Wrestling here, Andrew, and it's funny when they show you, you know, because he thinks he's got the respect to these guys, and then he has a match against them, and they just literally beat the shit out of him, don't they? <laughs> yeah, man. Like, it, it, it's like that old school sort of wrestling mentality that, you know, has seemingly gone away for the most part, you know, that, quote unquote, making sure you pay your dues, but on the... The, the other side of it, not the, the the traditional way that most people are thinking about in terms of like just being on the road and putting in the hours and stuff like that. You know, the veteran guys feeling like they have this, uh you know, this, for lack of better terms, this dominance over people who come into the business. So, yeah, Brett, you know, he went through that and, you know, he came out on the other end solid. And then he goes into uh, tagging with his brother Keith and winning the uh, tag belts and then into his singles career where he actually ends up winning the main championship, the North American Heavyweight Championship. And they show some some sort of like, these are seen as sort of like, you know, classic Brett stuff from Stampede, as much as with Dynamite Kid, him, him taking on Bad News Allen. You even see a ladder match, which he talks about a bit in his book as well, that sort of like he presented the ladder match to um, Vince and WWE. Mm-hmm. And obviously he ended up doing it with Sean and, and Razor first. But I don't know if you guys have had to go had time to go back and watch much of this Stampede stuff. The only reason I've seen it, because I remember years ago reading dynamite kids book and um there was a tape trader in the uk called strong style tapes and they had a best of dynamite kids tape so after i finished the book i went and got this tape and they had it had a load of the uh stuff he'd done in stampede with brett and the like and you know obviously you know it's, it's nothing compared to what you're watching today you've got to watch this stuff with you know imagining how it looked in the 80s and just 
absolutely amazing some of this stuff that they were doing and the reactions as well i mean you even get a sense eric in the documentary you know some of the crowd reactions that sort of dynamite and brett was getting and also with bad news alan as well yeah so this was actually for me at least this was the highlight of this entire documentary i have never seen any of brett's stampede stuff before so this is the first time i'd seen mm-hmm. any of this footage and you said you can't compare it to uh, the modern product but when i was watching that i was, I was doing just that i was <laughs> I was astounded by like this is footage from the, the late seventies, early eighties, and I didn't think it would have looked out of place in the modern day. And this is a smaller Bret Hart, right? Uh, mm, Bret Hart from yeah. the nineties looked like he ate Bret Hart from the seventies. Yeah, seeing the smaller, quicker Bret Hart working the style was uh, really something to behold, especially when they're showing off his footage with the matches against dynamite kid and as you were saying the reactions from the crowd it looks like some really fantastic stuff especially for its time yeah just to, just to piggyback over what eric was saying this was yeah my i think my first time seeing like this stampede wrestling footage uh specific stampede wrestling footage from Bret hart and like it, it was cool it was cool seeing like them sort of you know focusing on the you know sort of the, i'm assuming the program that he had with uh with bad news island that, that was really cool man i you know sort of when i was watching it um you know i went up and looked up some stuff about bad news island and you know I, it was cool to find out that he was like you know outside of professional wrestling he was like very like legit like in terms of like judo and stuff like that he had won like mm-hmm. a couple gold medals and like i think he was you know he was very well accomplished uh in, in, in that field before coming into uh pro wrestling so that, that was cool to find out and like just from you know seeing some of the clips and the highlights that they showed like they had the crowd hooked like all the way so yeah man it was cool seeing this uh this early footage from brett and, and and all the people that he had the opportunity to work with early on in his career there's like a really famous story from dynamite kids book when um bad news alan has a confrontation with andre the giant apparently like you know <laughs> allegedly andre made some kind of like racial comment and bad news was oh, like, i don't give a shit i don't give a shit how big you are i think they're in new japan or something like that and he's like i'm gonna take you on giant and apparently andre backed down and like dynamite was like i'd never seen Andre back down from anybody. So yeah, really interesting, um, really interesting story there from uh, Dynamite. Let's go well. bad news. Let's go yeah. bad news. <laughs> Talk to him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just like the, even the ladder matches and stuff um, and just, you know, he's working with big names like Nick Bonkwinkle and, and the likes and, you know, and you can see how he's really sort of like getting the time to hone his craft, you know, on TV and, you know, with the, you know, a fairly decent crowd looking at the tapes back. So, yeah, you can see, he, you know, he, he spent a lot of time sort of like honing his craft in Stampede before he became a worldwide name in, with WWF. But, uh, yeah, it's really interesting to go back and, and watch that stuff. Um, they don't go too much into depth on it, but obviously, you know, Stu's told Brett at this time, you know, a Stampede sort of like slowing down that, you know, he's going to, sell up to Vince and to go more into that in Brett's book that, you know, Vince didn't end up giving Stu the money. So Stampede started up in various incarnations, sort of like in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, and and Brett was um, Brett said that he went to New Japan for a sort of like cup of coffee, matches with Tiger Mask and stuff. And then obviously more famously, he joins WWF. And um, yeah, I think everyone's heard this story now, Andrew, that um, they wanted to make him a cowboy. Which um, that seemed yeah. to be a big thing around WWF when they didn't seem to know what to do with anybody. They saddled them, um, excuse the pun, with um, a dodgy gimmick like being a cowboy. Yeah, you know, that, and you know, as it's in like around this time period, that specific time period, WWE, they, you know, it not even seems it was like they were very character centric. 
And uh, even Brett, he had said in the interview one time that uh, that they they wanted him to be from like L.A. They wanted to build him from L.A. or like uh, one of the major cities in the uh, in the U.S. And he was like very adamant, was like, no, you're going to say I'm from Calgary. Like I'm from Canada. Like you're not going to tell me like I'm from like they're not going to announce me for like Michigan or like you know anything like that. <laughs> and they were like really trying to get him to like, you know, like agree to, you know, because like they, they like I, he said that somebody had told him that him saying he was from Canada or from Calgary would sort of lessen his appeal and, and it wouldn't be as attractive opposed to saying like you were from this big city in the States. And Brett was like, I'm not doing that and say that y'all, you know, announced me from Calgary or, you know, but, but it, it basically gave him an ultimatum. And, you know, they obviously went through, you know, saying he was from Calgary, but, you know, I, I can only imagine how, and, and I mean, to some people it may not be a big thing, but I can only imagine like sort of the, the trajectory of his career and how different things would have been if Bret Hart wasn't able to represent Calgary on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a directive that never completely changed. I remember in there was a point in the 2000s where they took various Canadian wrestlers and they would build them from uh, different parts in the U.S. depending on where they were living. Like Chris Jericho got the New York billing and uh, mm. Benoit got Atlanta and so on and so on. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, being from Canada, you can't be a baby face and from a different country. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Hey, hey, Martin and Eric, I wanted to ask y'all real quick, like, why are we on the sort of on the topic of documentaries and not to like take it too far off? But like, Vince Man is like heavily featured in this. Like, are, are y'all interested, or is there like any interest level in you know seeing the you know the documentary that's going to come out about Vince? You know, I think they saying it's going to come out this year. Like, are y'all interested to see like how they tell that story and if they'll get into you know a, a, a lot of the negative portions of Vince Carroll? Do you think it'll be like this? You know, big rah rah. You, you know, Vince did this for me type of type of documentary, or you think they really gonna get into like the nitty gritty of what a lot of people want to hear about? WWE involved in it? Yeah, it's it's W it's WWE in a ringer. I mean, not not the ringer, but uh, Bill Simmons he works for the works for the ringer. But yeah, uh, yeah, WWE's involved. They involved in this. Oh well, absolutely. It's gonna be on about Vince, what a legend he was, and, <laughs> you know how many women he's been with, and you know what his prowess as a fighter and all this other stuff. That it's gonna come completely. That isn't it. It's not gonna be anything else. What do you think, Eric? Uh, yeah, it's probably just gonna be a fluff piece. I'm I'm not really looking forward to it, but if I hear reviews that say otherwise, I'll check it out. Okay, what I'd be more interested in, Andrew, was that um, did you didn't they leak some scripts about like sort of like a film that was going to come out um, that WWE were going to produce or something about um, about Vince or the McMahon's or something like that, and it and people no, I, 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 and it was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> no, I was more interested I, 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 in watching that as a laugh. No, if you if you referring to what I think you referring to, I think I think that's what it is. Like I mean, I mean, Stephanie had did an interview recently, and she was like. Uh, she was like they were gonna i mean uh, i mean of course they're gonna touch it. i don't think it's anybody surprised but they were like gonna talk about like you know his upbringing and stuff like that so i mean i don't i, I don't know if that's like directly related to what you're talking about but you know i i think i'm just more so curious to find out if they're gonna you know ask the questions that a lot of people kind of want to know about because I, I don't think we've ever heard like outside of that uh you know that one setting uh and when it when it happened i think a lot of people would be curious to hear you know all these years later about his thoughts about how you know what happened with Chris Benoit and how that impacted the mm-hmm. wrestling business and what that could have done to WWE because it damn near tanked the could have tanked the company like it really could have so I'm, I'm yeah. I think I'm interested in that and I, I has he I mean 
I, I know they did like some of the press conference stuff, but like, have you, as you guys like ever heard him speak like in depth about, you know, uh, Owen Hart's passing? Like I'm talking about like in the, like outside of like the press conference stuff that they were doing, like when it was like the legal situation going on. Cause I, I can't recall the time where I've ever heard him like in depth talk about this. And especially like with the, the retro spec type thing, type dynamic, that's, you know, that we are now in 2022. I think that'd be something that, uh, you know that a lot of people would want to hear, but again, like like you guys said, I'm sort of biting my tongue on that. I, I don't, I don't, you know. It, it, since WWE's involved, I doubt that they'll want to, you know, have you know Vince going record saying all this. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah I, I don't, think, I don't think he has. Piece. I don't think he has ever spoke an in depth about it, and I imagine his lawyers advised him against doing it, yeah. especially when the lawsuit with Martha and everything. But um, mm. so, yeah, like you said, you know, you know, there that Vince's, um, you know. It featured quite a bit in this documentary because um, the Hart Foundation formed after, you know, Brett says, you know, being a cowboy, unless you're an actual, you know, proper cowboy, it just looks phony. And obviously he wants a sense of realism towards his character. And he suggests that he teams up with Jim Nidart and they eventually go for it and um, they form the Hart Foundation. And it's interesting that um, the office are like, well, no one will really see you as a heel. But I do remember sort of like... um, going back and watching some of these tapes of, you know, sort of like the early WrestleManias and when the Hart Foundation were around originally. And um, I thought they worked really well as heels. And obviously the show clips of Brett slagging the crowd off and stuff, which is quite interesting, contrasting it to, you know, him being the quote-unquote Canadian hero these days. And Vince is even on here, Eric, saying that, um, you know, the Hart Foundation were one of the best tag teams they ever had in in there, which is uh, quite eye-opening. So we also got Animal and, and a few other talking heads saying that they're also one of the best tag teams around. Yeah, I think that's fairly popular opinion, for especially if we're just talking about the WWE's history. And as far as Brett's heel work, I, I think he's a very good heel. And you see the footage of him, especially in the late 90s, where he has the, yeah. we'll get into it more later, but when he has that run, you really see his chops. And yeah, he's a natural baby face. They weren't wrong in that regard, but he can play the heel as well as anyone, really. Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like came through, you know, especially when... <laughs> Some of the things he did say about America in that uh, Canada versus America feud, that was hilarious. But um, they kind of sort of like, you know, go on a bit about the Hart Foundation and say that, you know, Brett was sort of the technical guy while um, Anvil was sort of more the the powerhouse and the matches they had sort of like with the killer bees. And you see clips of them taking on the rockers and, and the like. And um, and then Jim Ross even goes on further and says they were the very best tag team that they had in um, had in um, WWE. Um, but, I mean, Vince even goes as far, sorry, I missed this in my notes, um, say that Hitman's like the Buddy Rogers from the 1950s yeah. and then jokes that he's um, old enough to remember that, which uh, is quite amusing. Um, but then we actually go to um, sort of like one of the biggest matches in Brit Art's career. And certainly for me as a fan, I remember I think SummerSlam 91 was um, the first um, WWE pay-per-view that was on tape and went around my primary school when we were all like eight and nine years old. And um, this IC match he has with Kurt Hengen. And, he, and um, I mean, what a match to have sort of like to kickstart your singles career here, Andrew. I mean, um, he has this... Um, SummerSlam 91, not really fondly remembered for the work rate on it, but this is easily <laughs> like the best match on, on that show. Man, it's, it's, like when you look at the overall, like, I guess, scope of catalog of Bret Hart's work, like, you, like, I, I think Eric mentioned it earlier. Like, when, when you see some of his matches from the, from the early 90s and even, even past that, 
like his work very much still holds up to this day. Like you can compare a lot of what he did back then, and then you see some of the stuff that's going on now. And it's like if you put that side by side, it's like I think a lot of people. And and, and, and I'm not saying to I don't, I don't think today's wrestling is bad at all. I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm talking about like just as far as what Brett was able to present, and of course who he was working with. You got to give a credit to them as well, like you mentioned, Kerr Henning. But yeah, but man, Brett's catalog of just his work, like is he. he he when he when he talks like his uh you know what I'm saying he talks his trash and stuff like that. I think Bear Hart legitimately has a gripe more than anybody to you know call himself you know one of the greatest, if not the greatest, professional wrestler of all time. And I don't like I mean a lot of people call him that, so I don't think there's even gonna be any backlash on that. But yeah, man, his his like workload and his you know overall catalog is like one of the, like one of the most amazing you know that any talent has ever put together. Oh, definitely, definitely. But it's funny because earlier on when he's talking initially about his singles career, he's unsure about his, his talents and his abilities. He's still like, you know, unsure about whether he can... He says maybe in this match against Perfect that he could maybe have main evented. But it's funny because you think that he wins the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam 91 and then loses it to Mountie and then obviously has the match with Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 8. And then at the end of the year, he's winning the world title off Ric Flair, which they kind of jump around in this documentary. He jumps, you know, they talk a little bit about his intercontinental title run. Mm. Um, but, I mean, that is quite pretty quick from someone winning the IC title to, um, to winning the world title, sort of like, you know, just over a year, I think, Eric, in terms of like, you know, where people go these days, you know, you don't see that <laughs> sort of like, you, you know, you don't see people moving from IC title to uh, to the ti- uh, the world title. No, no, anymore. you don't. If you win the IC title now, you're more likely to be, uh, I don't know, released in the next couple months. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not the stepping stone to being the guy in the promotion that perhaps it once was. No, but um, he's uh, obviously nah, going. No, nah, I, I was about to say real. Now you good? I was about to say real quick. Um, like he he has said, like I like this had came to my mind. Like as you said that, I remember I was covering some that uh, like when he was doing like his media rounds, and Brett was like, like when he won the title from from Ric Flair at that uh at that Saskatoon show, he was just like, at at the time that he said there was like there a lot of scandals like happening is in, in in WWF like with the I think the steroid stuff I'm like that and he was like you know uh, st- stuff involving Hogan of course and stuff involving like he said things didn't necessarily work out with the past champions like Flair and uh, uh Warrior and Macho Man and things weren't necessarily clicking with them and he was like from, from what he understood their mindset WWF's mindset was like we need somebody who is not going to bring any negative attention like more than we have right now because we, we really don't need that and he said that Vince felt that he was the guy to sort of you know take WWE into that next uh quote-unquote era and sort of move away from the negativity that was surrounding the past era and you know that's sort of you know he, he basically broke it down like that so I thought that was like a very uh you know an interesting thing that you you know you guys are just talking about that it just you know brought that to my mind. One thing, obviously, you know, the biggest match out of his uh, Intercontinental title run is the big match at Wembley against British Bulldog. And he, he says that Vince said he wanted to, them to go on last. And, and this is when he realizes that, you know, he, he's a bona fide main eventer because he thinks this is one of the best matches he ever had. And if going even further into this, if you look at Brett's book, that um, apparently Davey Boy had been out with Jim Neidhart smoking crack, for about two weeks prior and it 
he met he, he got the match all laid out and he met up with bulldog sort of like the day before and he laid the match out for him and he was really bulldog was really scared about you know obviously over eighty thousand people in wembley stadium you know his home country and everything and brett was like don't worry i'll i'll sort of like do everything and then apparently the first five minutes into the match bulldog walked up to him and went, I'm fucked, mate. I don't know what I'm doing. And he was like, okay, <laughs> just trust me. And apparently this is seen in it by fans as sort of like, you know, the best carry job of all time, you know, Brett taking him through it. And I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch so much, but even obviously as a kid, I absolutely loved it. But even going back and watching it now, it still like really holds up and the great reaction they get and just that great setting, you know, they were really lucky that it didn't rain in an open air open air arena in the UK, but also the great atmosphere and there's, there's the lights just going down and everything. It's still um, an absolutely brilliant match. I don't know if you've uh, had a chance to go back and watch this one, Eric. I have, and I think what you said, uh, particularly about the atmosphere, is uh, right on the money. What, one of the craziest atmospheres I can recall for a wrestling match in that gigantic stadium, you know? It, yeah, and I think Brett like, goes into like it, doesn't he? He says, like, Bulldog went over, but, um, you know, he had just as many fans that day, Andrew. No, Martin, I was about to ask you, what do you think is the interest, like, in a UK stadium show for the for WWEs these days? Like, do, you, do you think do you think they will, they will pack it out just all pure, like, you, you know, people sort of want something to do? Like, like let's go to this WWE show, or do you think they would, do you think that, like, like, absolutely... Like a low percentage of actual interest in what could be on this show if it were to happen. Well, yeah, there is apparently there's um they're gonna do it Labor Day weekend, aren't they? If that's yeah, the rumor I heard, at the I heard minute. That. That, yep. Yeah, that they're gonna do a big stadium show over here in the UK. I think the word I think there's a lot of like hardcore fans that'll turn up for things like this. Maybe not a WF house show, a WF show rather, but you know, I think for a big stadium show, if they put like you know. If they have sort of like Drew McIntyre on top or something like that, you know, like a mm. UK guy or something, I think I think there'll be a lot of interest. And certainly, if they can sort of like get a lot of mainstream press interest, like they did SummerSlam '92, it was all over like mainstream TV, but front page on newspapers and things like that. So if they can garner that interest, then certainly, I think I think they'll do pretty well um, if they do a stadium over here again, but not as well as I don't think they'll get eighty-two thousand people again. Uh, hey, hey, hey yeah, Martin, no. Martin, over or under on the U, on the NXT UK guys being on the show? Oh, <laughs> in the dark <laughs> match, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't they didn't even have them on the last UK tour, so yeah. God knows. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll wait and see on that one. But, yeah, certainly they won't be doing anything as, as big as this one. But um, it's funny because Brett's saying, you know, Warriors are going to be gone again. Ogun's gone. And he sort of, like, really sees himself as sort of, like, the main guy, especially after beating Flair for the title. And, you know, they show you, you know, he's starting to build up worldwide fame. And he's got a lot of international appeal, especially in Canada and then Germany and the UK and stuff. And he sees himself as a role model and a, and a hero to the fans, which is something that, you know, is quite synonymous with Brett you know some people say that he maybe took himself a bit too seriously you know with the this hero stuff but you know you can see he really believes it watching the documentary and then we get to uh Wrestlemania 9 um and the incident which saw him have a match with Yoko Zuna and then lose the title and Hulk Hogan sneaks in and wins the WF title from Yoko and you can see Brett even to this day is still like or even in 2005 he's still like what was going on there i mean even as a kid andrew i knew that was like um a load of rubbish i was like what is going on here you know brett's lost the title and then hogan comes in and you know and, and wins the title in about 10 seconds 
Yeah, so you, you even hear Brad in this documentary, like at this, like you mentioned at this time period, he was very confused, you know, as to why, you know, they would take the title off him. Uh, you, you know, uh, like even to like to this day, like you will hear Brett address address Hogan uh, in, in these interviews. He's not a fan of him in the slightest. <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty sure y'all, I don't know if y'all had the chance to see that, that, uh, that article that was on the site when he was just. I, I, I he he just like completely dogged Hogan and it was hilarious. <laughs> I, I I I've never enjoyed writing anything more in my life. But 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 but, but yeah, just, just hearing Brad even talk about like the 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 match that he had at, at WrestleMania nine. He was talking about how he had a. I think he he said I think he said if I recall correctly, he said he had matches like with a uh, like with Diesel and he had matches with Razor Ramon and like he felt like he was looking forward to you know what was to come as far as that title reign goes. And he's just like they just sort of pulled the rug uh, from underneath him. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there was even talk, um, and apparently Brett says that there's um, some kind of uh, promo pictures out there somewhere of um, him and Hogan, you know, sort of like jostling over the belt and stuff like that. And apparently that was, you know, that was going to be the plan. But obviously that match never came to fruition. But, you know, while he's out of the title picture, you know, um, you know, before he has another title reign, he has a really, really memorable feud that people still talk about today with it. with Owen Hart, and this is sort of like the first time Owen's sort of brought into the documentary, and you know it, the rivalry is all based on jealousy. Owen's a bad guy, thinking that you know Brett's overlooking him and things like that, and possibly Eric, I think one of the finest um, openers to a pay per view at WrestleMania Ten when um, him and Owen um, had that great match together. I still don't know if it's been surpassed. I mean, it's mm. <laughs> it's a very hard bar to top. I mean, but. Well, we'll get into the other match as well, I suppose. But Bret Hart, you could argue Owen was Bret's best opponent. They didn't have that many prominent singles matches throughout their careers, as far as I've known. But from the ones that they've had, it's just such great wrestling, such great storytelling. Uh, kind of the peak of that era, in my opinion, at least. It's such a yeah, simple definitely. story, too, bro. Yeah, it's a really simple add, story. Yeah, it, it's just it's just very simple, and I, I think especially at at that time it was just like so easy for people to get invested to it's like 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 i mean i don't know if i can even further expand on that but it's just like you you know you got the brother who feels like he's being slept on you know and he's like you know i'm about to prove it to you and like it's like it's just a very like again like i know you said it like five times already but it's just like a simple story and easy to get invested to it's not overcomplicated, and you know then you got what they can do respectively in the ring uh you know it's like a recipe for success yeah, because he gets the title back as well on the same show, and he obviously says in the documentary that WF tried doing the All-American thing with Luger, but fans saw right through it and saw him as a bit of a phony, and it kind of failed for them, and obviously bringing Hogan back, and that failed for him, and they went back to him as, as champion. But he not he still got unfinished business with Owen, and they had a great cage match at SummerSlam 94, which was also the same show that had undertaker against undertaker <laughs> mm-hmm. i remember even as a kid like absolutely hating that match and then loving the cage match so and then i think a lot of the promotion was around some of 94 was for that undertaker undertaker match but obviously no one everyone remembers that being awful in this great cage match hey. and um, he gets quite emotional doesn't he andrew sort of like saying like how proud he was that how professional they were and how he protected owen when he suplexed him off the top of the cage and things and obviously it you know, you noted earlier about him getting emotional about his father, and he clearly sort of like has to fight back the tears talking about this match with Owen again. Yeah, yeah, real, real, real quick on that. Like, and, and you know, I, I think you do make a great point about like and point out that, you know, he did get emotional when speaking about Owen and their match together. I think that's also a credit to, 
you know, of course, his, you know, love for Owen, but I think that also has, you know, a bit to do with his love for pro wrestling in general. I, I think Brett takes like a great, 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 great deal of pride in what he was able to accomplish. And I think that still holds weight to this day. Like even when you hear him speak, you know, now he very, he speaks very proudly of what he was able to accomplish. And he feels like, you know, he was one of the trendsetters as far as like, you know, changing the game and what it is. But but like I, I wanted to ask you, like you <laughs> when we were talking, you talk about the um uh, it's, it's like something in my mind right now, but like going back to WrestleMania nine, like, <laughs> oh yeah, the, the, you were talking about the Undertaker versus the Undertaker match, but like going back to WrestleMania nine, what was that? Was that Jack Gonzalez Undertaker match as bad as people? <laughs> as bad as people say? I haven't seen it. Oh yeah, I never yeah. went back and watched it. <laughs> it, 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 it is. It, it was. It's that bad. <laughs> but, it's the worst I, WrestleMania I, I, of all time, Andrew. And Jim Ross is in a fucking toga, a Roman toga, <laughs> like his debut for the company, I think. And yeah, it's just. It's awful. There isn't like, I can't, they have Money Inc. against uh, Hogan and Beefcake, the Mega Maniacs or whatever, but that is still going on to this day. I think that match went on for so long. And then, yeah, the Giant Gonzalez Undertaker match. And it's just awful. Not even like Shawn Michaels and Tonka can save it. It's just the worst WrestleMania of all time. Even as like, God, how old was I? Like, 10, 11, it was awful. Even as a kid, I was like, this is, this is a terrible wrestling event. <laughs> So yeah, we won't be talking about that on Bushby and Thompson anytime soon. No. <laughs> well, well uh, that, that's going to be sad news for the folks because they don't know our giant Gonzalez breakdown coming that coming in March. Sorry to oh, let yeah. y'all know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then obviously Brett goes into talking about Shawn Michaels, and it always it, you know it started to feel around this time that um, they were just building up. He was doing all this stuff and having all these great matches and stuff, and this great feud to come off with him, and he thought he'd been a good champion. But it felt like they were, you know, it was all building up to him till he was just going to be a transitional champion and it was just all building up to him to lose to Sean. And quite funny here because they start talking about the build for the Iron, uh, the Iron Man match they're going to have at WrestleMania 12. And he's saying that, you know, there's this footage of Sean and he's looking, you know, amazing and he's doing the Rocky thing, running up these steps and that. And he's, you know, coming off this blistering schedule and he's injured and they've got him running. He makes this big point about how they've got this footage of him running across this ice and it looks like, you know, he's running like an eight year old man. And I, I thought he was being a bit harsh on himself here. Eric. I didn't feel like he looked like he was, he just looked like he was out for a leisurely jog. It didn't look like, you know, he was, he, I thought he was putting himself down quite a bit here. No, the footage didn't look bad at all. Uh, perhaps that was just how his his mind perceived it. But as a, a fellow Canadian who has to walk to work uh, on a thick, like a uh, forty minutes <laughs> path of ice every day, uh, mm. that that was quite impressive, Brad. So I, I don't hold it against you at all. Yeah, it's just because it, I know he goes on in, in his book at quite length on that, and it is just amusing to me that you know he seems to think that he looks awful in this package, but and Sean looks amazing, but and then. Obviously, we get to the match itself, the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. And Eric, is this the most overrated match of all time? Because in my opinion, it is. I mean, I even remember watching this at the time and thinking, oh, this is very dull. And I'd heard about all these, you know, 60-minute classics and stuff from the 80s and that. And I was like, God, if all 60-minute matches are like this, I never want to watch another 60-minute match in my whole life. Yeah, it's it's really not fantastic. I, I wouldn't say it's, it's a bad match. Obviously, when you have Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, the wrestling is going to be fine. And the last few minutes are entertaining, but it's it's just long. That's that's really all it is. I mean, 
And I'd say like even amongst your hardcore fans, I don't think you will find that many people saying how great it is. But whenever it's, you know, talked about in a WWE production, they'll always go on about how it's <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> matches of all time. And uh, it isn't. Do you that feel you like, way, was... Andrew, do you feel like there's been a lot of revisionist history about this match? A lot of people <laughs> who haven't maybe watched this match who go off all these WWE documentaries and things like that and these top 10 WrestleMania matches of all time. And this is always in the top five and I can never, ever understand it. Hey, hey Mar, you might know what's funny, Mar, there. You might know what's funny. So, but before, like, but, but when I was, um, like, I, 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 you, I would always hear, because I always had, like, the, uh, all these, like, WWE DVDs when I was a kid. And they, they, I had this one, this one DVD. I still have it. It's called The, the History of the uh, WWE Championship. And like before I actually saw this match, the, the way that this match was like, you know, like I like I, uh, Eric just said, like how they presented it. You would have thought this was like the greatest shit that ever existed. Like it was like unbelievable. And like wh- when I watched it as a as a, when I watched this DVD that specific match as a kid, I thought it was like, you know, I, 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 I initially thought that it was like very, very great. And then like, you know, as I start to see other different different styles of wrestling, different types of wrestling. And you go back and watch this match back. It's like, eh. like I got me like Eric said, it was just a long match. And and I think sort of the dramatics of like the video packages that is like you know uh, that like even today like they throw in you know some of the highlights and stuff about this match. Like you would think it's like this all time you know great match. And I'm not not to say it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was bad, but you know I'm not gonna say it, say that. But I think it was just like much like Eric said, it was just like a very long match in the. I, I would say that the highlights and the video packages related to this match do it more justice than well, yeah, because you get every you, in that in that package you're showing on the documentary, you get literally all the best bits in that five minute yeah, like, music exactly. video they put together. <laughs> yeah, and it's exactly. funny at the end. Obviously, Sean wins, and then Brett says, "Like you know, I don't I don't know." He, he sort of mouths something to the ref, but Brett says that he says tell him to get the fuck out of my ring this is my time and you know brett's like you know i thought that was a bit disrespectful and then they go into like he had a bit of time off um in 96 here and we see him on the set of lonesome dove actually playing a cowboy here and then i think he did a few other things he maybe had been in a few other films nothing i don't know if he was trying to sort of like have a full-blown acting career outside of wrestling but it obviously never quite worked out for him i think his main claim to fame now acting wise is that what was was it some kind of commercial eric in in um in canada where he's saying like oh rick flair i bet you ain't got one of these and brock lesnar you've never been in the simpsons or whatever that clip that always goes around <laughs> oh, yeah. talking about. <laughs> i was gonna say like if we're talking about Bret hart's acting career it's like oh yeah he was in that episode of the simpsons i guess that's that's the highlight, but uh, perhaps the commercial or not even a commercial was. I think it was just a video he posted on Instagram or something. I'm surprised that. Right. Yeah, that's hilarious. I always love watching that. It's, it's like, look at me. I've got this TV I can talk to. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, but then obviously, you know, we move past that and onto who I consider his best opponent ever. We get Steve Austin. He talks about how. He saw him when he was in the Hollywood Blondes with Brian Pillman, and he was also he was always recommending to Jim Ross and Vince that they sign him, and then obviously they didn't. Obviously, Austin didn't have a great start coming in as ringmaster and stuff, but then Brett came back and said that he was going to challenge Austin. He was now Stone Cold now, and they go into this match. They had Brett's comeback match in '96 at Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden. And I know everyone talks about the WrestleMania match they had the year prior, but I think this one's. Um, is not as good, but I think it's up there in terms of like 
um, a great Austin match, Andrew. Yeah, the, uh, you 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 referring to the, the 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 one that everybody talks about, right? Um, well, no, there is the the WrestleMania. There's a WrestleMania 13 one, but then this combat match for Brett is the Survivor Series '96 one, which I don't oh, think okay. gets as much play as the WrestleMania 13 one, but I think it's just as good. Okay, so yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I, I have seen the uh, WrestleMania 13 one, and I, I like uh, opposed to like uh, opposite like how we all expressed about the you know the Shawn Michaels match, how much that gets bigged up. I definitely think that this one was better that that match that he had with Austin at uh, Mania 13 was mm. for sure better than the one that he had with Sean at the at their WrestleMania match. Like I think that every everything that anybody says about that match is is, is definitely holds weight and it, and it definitely holds up still to this day. We can sort of see in this that you know we're not fully into the attitude area yet, but the fans are sort of like you know trying to more siding with Austin. You know, Brett's still getting a pretty decent pop, but you can see the tides turning. And obviously, we do get to WrestleMania 13. Vince on the documentary says you know they were made for each other, and just that double switch WrestleMania 13. I mean, it's been talked to death, Eric, but like it's just still like perfect in in terms of like switching allegiances from the crowd because they're already starting to turn on Brett but then it's perfect turning him heel and Austin babyface at the same time isn't it 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 was done to perfection uh, to this day you can go back and watch this match and uh, especially understanding the historical context of it it holds up completely uh you, many say it's the greatest match in the history of the promotion and i mm. think that's fair i mean you definitely have to think about it, uh, all the contenders <laughs> sense, but especially to that point, I'd say so. And then obviously we get into the Canada versus America feud and Brett's like, he see, at first he felt funny, you know, bashing America, but being loved in Canada, Europe and sort of like the rest of the world. And I kind of think they hit lightning in a bottle here. I, I kind of feel like WWE in 97, especially this with, um, you know, Canada versus the USA or the world versus the USA, as Brett was calling it. Brett was doing some of his best promo work, Andrew, and I just feel like they mm-hmm. caught lightning in a bottle. And I think it would be really hard to sort of pull off something like that today where someone is so beloved around the rest of the world and they are agreeing what he's saying about America. I, I, I think that WWE, they often walk into these, like they, it, it, as far as like when they have these talents who are like, they organically like, gain this like massive attraction with the with the fans and it's like the instant connection i don't think it's it's like i would say like eight times out of ten it more so just is pure luck on their part like they just walk into these situations and i think brett just sort of he found this spot and i think that a lot of people like a lot of the audience were sort of swayed on on brett and not in a negative way either it was more so just like they were booing booing him because of course he was doing you know representing canada and you know he was you know going in on american fans and doing that whole bit there and then also on, on the other end you know he is a canadian hero you know for all you know all intents and purposes so yeah i think brett just sort of found his spot man and he ran with it and he capitalized the shit out of it so yeah definitely um yeah some of those promos he did like like you know uh, what was what state was the enema of, of America or something like that? And just yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Just he really, really came into his own with that. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you what what, what year? I, I, it's slipping my mind right now, but I remember I was watching this in your house show, and and it was it was in Canada, and it had it was the whole Heart Foundation. I remember, and Brett came out last. Dude, so this is what reaction. he gets to next. Canadian oh, stampede okay. that. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. like the infamous. 10-man yeah. tag, yeah. And, I mean, 
that has got to be one of the best reactions Eric yes. I've seen. I mean, obviously, you see, <laughs> you see, you see this kid, it's this Canadian stampede, and like you, they've been doing promo work for it all week. And then when Brett comes out for that reaction, this 10 man tag is just unreal. I've never seen anything like that. It's a tremendous reaction. Uh, Steve Austin is at his best as a heel in this mm. one. And the entire match is just really a, a great brawl, which, I mean, when you have like 10 people in a match, more often than not, it's going to be a complete mess. This was not that. It was fantastic. Because they say that this was the last time that the whole family was together because obviously all the family gets in the ring at the end and have a big celebration and... Uh... Then we get on to um, a subject that's not really been talked about before on any podcasts or um, or books mm. or anything like that. Um, something, a um, little known thing called the Montreal Screwjob, Andrew. Um, any, <laughs> any thoughts on that? I mean, this has been done to death, haven't it, on every... I mean, yeah, I, even, I remember um, a few years back, Shawn Michaels did like one of those... Um, you know, an evening with like Q and A sessions where he talked about his career. And I remember someone uh, in Manchester in the UK, and I went along to that, and someone in the crowd even said like, "Oh, something, something." Montreal Screwjob, and Sean just literally went, "Look, there's three DVD box sets. I've got a book. Brett's got a book. You've got the WWE Network. I don't think there's anything more I can actually say on the Montreal Screwjob. I mean, Andrew, have you got anything other to add than than what's already been added about you know Brett getting through by Vince and, and that whole situation? No, um, man, I don't think it's like legit anything to add else on that. Like they don't that that thing is legit been ran into the ground. Like how Sean is a mm-hmm. uh, like you mentioned, Sean just mentioned they got a whole doc side of the ring documentary about it. Uh, you know, I, I I don't I don't know how like it. it, it I, I will give credit to anybody that can legit try to make something else about this and have some like more new information added to it. I feel like the, every story from every perspective has been told so far. Yeah, I will say what's interesting here, and especially when this DVD came out, that you know this was the way it was handled. You know, obviously it's all we'd seen. You know, Sean finally fessing up on that confidential that he was in on it and all this other stuff. And it was always from WWE's perspective. So it was interesting seeing a WWE product actually coming from Brett's perspective. And, you know, we, we saw different opinions, but we actually got, you know, Brett on camera actually saying, you know, what, he, as far as you're concerned, what happened and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I thought that it, I thought at the time it was a good seeing Brett's perspective on what actually happened. So, um, and then sort of like, you know, you know, he talks about his WCW stint and it was really sort of like unremarkable and, you know, it ended on a real low point for him. They don't really go into too much depth on his WCW career, Eric. I don't think, I don't know if you've had time to watch uh, much WCW, but there are some hidden gems in there. I think he has a good match against Flair at Sold Out 98 and there are some good stuff in there, but it was, it was kind of like what, you know, Vince was always saying to Brett, you know, they won't know what to do with a Brett Hart and it kind of came true for him in WCW, didn't it? Yeah, personally, the only like match I've seen from Brett from his WCW run was the uh, the one against Benoit at the mm. Owen tribute match. Uh, mm. That that aside, you really just Brett says it himself every time he talks about his WCW run about how uh, much of a disappointment it was and how relatively unhappy it was there. And we kind of we get uh, Eric Bischoff, who's interviewed for this as well, talking about how he felt as though. Brett was unmotivated and in turn you have Bret Hart saying the exact opposite saying that was not the case in the slightest he was ready to go and it was just uh, the state of the promotion at the time yeah oh yeah definitely like even uh, like as far as Brett's WCW run 
I didn't see much of it. Like I like maybe a bother to like go back and watch most of the stuff from WCW. Like I, I, out of pure curiosity, I went back and watched that match that he had with um with Goldberg when the one he got injured, and that was only because I, I was watching Brett on the, uh, the 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 Steve Austin broken skull sessions and like the you know he was just shitting on Goldberg. So like, like I was like, look, I I, I I I need to go see this, and I watched it, and I was. I was like, I mean, of course, I've seen the, you know, the clip before, you know, how he got injured and stuff. But like seeing it like as it happened, it was like, woof, Jesus fucking Christ. But yeah, that was a, yeah, I mean, I've heard Brett like, you know, of course, we've all heard him speak about it in past interviews over the years. And like, he's always like, you know, just it, it, it more so like I, I, within, you know, him, of course, dunking on WCW, it always seemed like he just wished that things could have turned out like maybe just a little bit better. And I think that question is always there of like, you know, had like you know what would would what would the rest of Brett's run in uh, WWF slash E would have looked like? You know, had the Montreal school job never happened, because you know you at that time you had this new influx of guys coming in that was sort of rising up, man. Like he, you know, he had the opportunity to you know do what he did with Steve Austin, and you know The Rock was there. Uh, you know, especially like I'm talking about within that WWE banner, like you, you know, Eddie had made the jump eventually and stuff like that, and. You know, Malenko. It 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 would have been cool, man, to see like with, with, under the WWE banner, under the WWF banner, to see what they were, uh, you know, what they would what, what they would have been able to accomplish. So yeah, I guess we'll you know, of course, we'll never know now, but it's it's, it's interesting to talk about and speculate on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, Goldberg. If anyone's watched that match, Goldberg does like full force kick him in the head, doesn't he? And then like he, he kicked the book- shit out of him. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> he kicked the shit out of him. In his book, he said as soon as it happened, sort of like he's seen a million stars and then he was going out on the road and getting powerbombed by Sid every night and stuff like that, which is um, obviously what you want when you've got a concussion on mm. it. And, but he still goes, um, it goes quite dark here, doesn't it? Because obviously there's a lot of deaths that, you know, outside of the stuff, you know, obviously creatively is not fulfilled in WCW, but then there's a lot of deaths sort of like surrounding by people who are really close to him. You know, you've got Brian Pillman, you know, um, around 97 and then obviously Owen's tragic death um, over the edge in 99 and then just all these other people who were sort of like connected to Brett you know Helen and then Bulldog and Stu all dying in, in quick succession and you know it's, it's, it seemed obviously took a, a big toll especially his uh, brother Owen dying um, sort of like around you know the end of his WCW career Eric. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of part of the Bret Hart story, just uh, the tragedy that surrounded him, uh, his career, his family. And uh, unfortunately, even after this DVD came out, uh, it was still the story for some time later. I mean, even so throughout this documentary, we get a lot of Chris Benoit and we hear Bret Hart talking about how Benoit is practically family. And and, I mean, everybody listening to this knows what happens there. So. Yeah. yeah, just more like, of the same. Unfortunately, you you, you want to know something, bro? Like I've always wanted to. I, I think everybody probably wants to, you know, speak to Verhard at some point. But like I've always wanted to interview him and ask him, like without, of course, you know, intruding within that, you know, that balance between, like, you know, asking a proper question and invading personal. You know, what I'm saying that, but I've always wanted to ask him, like, how he was able to mentally, you know, get past all the people in his life that, you know, passed away. And, and I, I think it would just be very interesting to hear how he was able to, you know, overcome that. Cause I don't want to use the word get over, but overcome that from a, a mental perspective. Cause I'm I, it, it, like, I, I know that shit just like, you know what I'm saying? Like that having that, all the 
people that you mm-hmm. care about and you know you grow with just pass away and stuff like that and then they seemingly feels like you all by yourself to some extent so i i was i've always been like curious and wanted to like sit and talk with him and ask him like you know what i'm saying like how, like how, to, how like how did you even like make it through that mentally you know what i'm saying without like just dogging yourself out or like you know just completely going off the grid yeah definitely yeah it would be interesting to hear that from him and then obviously you know they talk about his stroke in 2002 and he said vince reed you know, was reaching out to him and that made a lot to him and they were sort of like building bridges and obviously that's where this DVD came from. And, you know, you can tell sort of like, you know, he's he's, he's recovered quite well from his stroke watching this DVD and, um, yeah, and he sort of comes through and then we have a lot of talking heads on it saying like, you know, how they consider Brett to be one of the greatest of all time. And um, say it's two hours, I thought it was quite through, Eric. I mean, what did you think of, of the documentary as a whole? Were the bits that were missed out? Or do you think they, you know, had the balance right in, in terms of what they covered here? You know, I think the interviews that they... So there were people interviewed for when when this project was originally uh, Hitman or Screwed, the Bret Hart story, right? There were some <laughs> interviews that were cut out from this involving the likes of Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels. And I do think this documentary actually could have used snippets of those interviews as derogatory towards Bret Hart as they probably were just to provide uh, the other people's perspective from very significant figures of his career. Right. I did feel as though the like Shawn Michaels not being interviewed for a Bret Hart story is a is a big gap in in my opinion, at least. And so I'd say this was like, like a very good documentary specifically if you're not familiar with Bret Hart but if, if you do know Bret Hart a lot of this is old hat they're just kind of going through his career uh, he's a very open guy right to this day he's done a ton <laughs> of interviews and he has no issues speaking his mind so you'll hear what you want from Bret Hart in one form or another but I, for me as I stated earlier the highlight was seeing those those highlights from his old stampede wrestling days I thought that was uh, fascinating to watch yeah, that's certainly something that, you know, obviously his WF and WCW career and his rivalry with Sean has been done to death. But it's like you say, that is the most interesting stuff about it. All his stampede career, his early career as um, sort of like an amateur wrestler and things like that. And that's definitely the most interesting part, I think, about the documentary, Andrew. Yeah, for sure. And, and just to piggyback off what Eric said, I think Eric made a great point when he was talking about like the format uh, of the documentary in terms of like including or not including certain people. Um, you know, I I have no interest in seeing Terry on my screen at all. So I you know, I'll just focus on Sean. I'll just focus on I'll just focus on Sean Michaels. But uh, <laughs> but but no no. And also in this though, like I, I do think and like when you're just talking about like a good documentary overall, like it doesn't need to be professional wrestling. I think the things that make some documentaries great is when you have all perspectives. Like just like our Eric mentioned, like you have people who there are people out there who did not have fond experiences with Bret Hart and who did not like him for a portion of his career. And I think when you add those people in it makes the documentary complete and like i mean but i, I at the same time you, you know like like martin mentioned like you know maybe there was the thought there of like hey you know let's build bridges let's you know yeah let, let, you know what i'm saying it's like so so let's keep that negative that negativity out and let's focus you know strictly on sort of the positives of Bret Hart career and, and would and have people included in this who you know may if it is negative like how you know eric bischoff had his comment but like if it is negative it's not like to the degree of where like you know it could potentially ruin you know anything in the future between those two at that time if that makes sense 
Yeah, definitely. They didn't want to go too hard on him. And obviously, they did have the wrestling rivalries where it was Sean and Brett sat down, you know, going at it. It would it would have made this documentary more interesting, sort of having some more different viewpoints. But I, I don't think the you know he might have seen that as a hatchet job on him. So I can see why they didn't include them. But it is interesting. I don't know if you have seen that um, DVD with Sean and Brett, and it's just. Brett literally sat there going, you did this, you did that, you did the other. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. I can't remember most of that because I was pilled out of my brain. Now. <laughs> that, and that is the entirety of the documentary, like the entire thing. It's Brett Hart saying, oh, well, you did this. And John Michaels, yeah, I don't remember that. Uh, my bad. <laughs> it's, just whole, like, it's, it's entertaining, but also very repetitive. That yeah. sounds like that sounds like one of the worst watches in the history right now. Like, I, is it is it that bad? No, 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 it's, it's not, not bad. It's, it's just bad. funny. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I was like, Jesus, like, I mean, because it's like from the way y'all was describing it, it was just like, like, what, what conversation is to be held if you don't remember half the shit that happened? No, but you, you, you just know, Sean. You know, for all these, you know, I'm born again and all this stuff. You just know he's still got that side of him where he just wants to oh, go. Oh, fuck oh, you, yeah. Brett. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And, <laughs> and you can just see he's having to hold back the whole time going, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. You know, I'm a different person now. He pretty much gives that answer to everything. And Brett's like, I remember when you said you wouldn't job for me in front of all the boys and all this other stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I won't do that now. Uh, blah, conveniently, blah. Sean remembered all the times Brett wronged him, though. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like even uh, like you know, just reminded me like uh like you know but Sean Michael's doing this whole I'm 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 born again thing and you know like I, I, I'm pretty sure when you say that like much time it's not making fun of him it's like more so like you know just referring to that 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 transition in his life but uh like I remember a story when he it was at the at the WrestleMania 19 um uh, I, I think him and Chris Jericho had went over time and when they got backstage Michael Hayes had said the the first thing he said he didn't tell him great match. First thing he said to him was y'all went over time. And from 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 this from the story that was told, Sean, Sean was walking to the back. And then Michael Hayes said this and then he stopped. Like it, it was like dramatic and shit. Like he stopped. Like with his back with his back turned. And then he went back to Michael Hayes and he looked at him and was like, I just went out there and did that. And that's the first fucking thing you say to me. He was like, <laughs> How about you go out there and you put on that great match? And then we'll see who's complaining about going over time. And like he like said a whole bunch of other stuff to Michael Hayes. And like Sean might have had a point. <laughs> <laughs> and like gave him the finger and all this stuff. So like Martin, I to your point, uh relating it back to Martin's point. Like, I definitely think Sean it is it, 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 no way you lose like that side of you, like that, you know, everybody got like that little bit of thing in them. So like it, it's it's no doubt that Sean still has that within him. Like I, I would love to see them, even to this day. I, I would love to see them like do like a sit down and like just m- more so like just be more free flow with it and just like let all that shit out. Like both of them, I know Brett is, but you know Brett, Brett does it all the time. But like it would be interesting to hear Sean, you know, sort of empty it out a little bit. Yeah, uh, he does. He does. I remember I mentioned that uh, Q and A evening with earlier, and I remember mm-hmm. someone said, "What's your best road story?" With, like Kevin Nash and that. And he prefaced it with this 10-minute diatribe about how none of it was big, none of it was clever, and you shouldn't do this, and blah, blah, blah. And then he was like, having said that, this this happened when we were all off our heads and we were drunk and blah, 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 and all this. And it was just like, yeah, this story's rubbish now because you've just prefaced it with this whole like disclaimer, <laughs> this 10-minute disclaimer. But um, 
Yeah, we kind of saw shades of it, didn't we? And his, his, you know, the feud against Hogan, the old Sean coming, creeping back in, didn't we? You know, the promo he it. was doing there. Love and then, it. What was it? Was he in Canada and he played Brett's music and like, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Right, in, right in Montreal, not just Canada, right in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like the old hey, Sean coming back, wasn't it? Hey, hey Mark, Mar, you want to know? So uh, the, the last uh, Butch B and Thompson, we covered No Way Out 03. Mm. And that was the first time that Sean had been back in Montreal since the screw job. And he he got like a big, like positive reaction. And like, it, it was it was something that like, when I had seen this DVD, you know, all these years ago, I never really paid attention to it. But like, what, what was that? Like five, six years after the, after the school job that that happened. So it was like, I, like for, for him to get the, like he got like a big, big reaction from, mm. from the crowd in Montreal. I, I was like very surprised like to hear them react so positively to Sean like maybe they just like you know it's all wood under bridge now like you know like I think at the time there's additionally just like the appreciation of having him back as well I mean oh oh, yeah you're right you're right that that definitely factors in but in general if you watch Canadian shows from the uh from his comeback run he usually gets a fairly positive reaction you'll get the occasional you screwed Brett's chance and whatnot (laughs) but I mean he's not as hated in Canada as some would lead you to believe Yeah, Vince was still getting the U screw Brett chance till about oh, ten yeah. years ago, weren't you? When he was going to Canada until he sort of like <laughs> I remember he was about to cut promo and everyone started going U screw Brett and he literally just went <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> so over it. Yeah, but as far as like the documentary goes, Andrew, and sort of like your fandom um, and your memories of Brett Art and stuff like that, and it's like what do you think sort of like his legacy will be in wrestling? Do you think he'll always be remembered Man. as sort of like, you know, one of the best sort of like WF champions? I, I think Bret Hart will always be remembered as one of the greatest wrestlers, period. Like, um, and, you know, I think anybody who didn't get the chance to see Bret, you know, like in real time, I highly recommend go check out any of his stuff. Like, I mean, his, you know, his matches are not how to find it. And even the, um, the Stampede stuff that, you know, me and Eric was sort of talking about how we didn't get to see that, but we saw it through this, uh, these clips like that some of that stuff is on youtube like you can easily go you know watch some of that stuff and you know check out all this early work like do brett like i mentioned earlier brett has a very impressive catalog and you know if, if there's anybody who has a gripe to say they're the greatest professional wrestler he says that shit a lot <laughs> like, so, so yeah i mean if anybody has that gripe man it's, it's brett dude like he he holds up so well and like um i, I know people often say you know what would he look like in today's current landscape like um like I, I had touched on it a little bit uh earlier when i was like you know what would his run look like if you know he didn't leave and then you know also if you know of course the school job didn't happen like you had this just influx of different talent like what could a, a match with a ray mysterio could have looked like a match with an edge could have looked like a match mm-hmm. with you know whoever else you know what, what even that 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 you know that smackdown six period that they had like a kurt angle like against bret hart oh my a, god exactly like a Kurt Angle versus a Brett or a Brett versus a Sheldon Benjamin or a Charlie Haas or you know what I'm saying and, and I you know Martin I, I think I mean uh Eric you know I think Kurt was supposed to wrestle Brett one year and I I, I gotta look it up and like get the exact wording of what Kurt said but that that was a match that was presented to him but it it, it didn't happen for some reason and I think it was more so in relation to the uh to to, to the stroke um you know if but I, I gotta look that up and get the exact you know wording for that but that that, that was an idea that was uh thrown out there i think a lot of, i don't think anybody would have complained about seeing that i think everybody would be very eager to see Kurt versus brett yeah well i think 
Brett has been on record, hasn't he, numerous times, and everyone said, like, oh, do you like to, when he was doing, he, he seemed to do a lot of sort of like spoken word shows and, and appearances at Indies where he'd come out and say, I always remember he, he, whenever he came to England, he'd always come over and sort of like say how great SummerSlam, he'd come on like midway through an indie show and say how great SummerSlam 92 was and how much he loved British fans and that was pretty much it. And then he'd do a Q&A after or whatever and he'd always say that people would ask him, who out of WWE would you like to face these days? And it was always Kurt Angle. So yeah, I had no idea, Andrew, that that was a match that might have possibly uh, taken place at one point. Oh yeah, yeah. So so what happened was, um, yeah, he, this is a direct quote. He was just like, and this was an interview he did with uh, Chris Van Vliet. I have, that's how I remember this. He was like, uh, I understand why Brett didn't want to do it. He had that stroke. He had a lot of bad luck. So things that were medically, you know, difficult for him to come back and be at his very best. You know, he understands that. Bre- I understand that Brett wanted to be the Bret Hart and everyone that everyone adored. Um, I told him, you don't have to bump at all. I'll do all the bumping. And he said, you know, Brett said no. So, you know, Kurt, Kurt wanted the match to happen, but, you know, he, he reached out to Brett and they tried to, you know, make it work. But I, like I said, it was, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was in relation to that stroke he had. And I don't think Brett wanted to go out there and like embarrass himself. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm, Brett, Brett's one of those guys that, you know, I, I yeah. like if, if he was able to i i would never I, I can't see brad green to like do like one of the saudi shows like just because I, I don't think he would ever want to uh come back and you know try to relive like his his prime years and shit mm-hmm. like that so i can never see that and like that that sort of relates to the you know something, something that we were talking about off it uh you know the possibility of stone cold steve Austin come back with austin hasn't wrestled since 2003 so yeah. man, like him coming back, like it's I, it, I I'm not gonna sit here and bluff and be like I'm not interested. Like shit, if Austin coming back, I'm watching. You know what I'm saying? Like that's mm. it's fucking stone cold. But like, you know, it, it, it's gonna be interesting to see what he does at 57 years old with somebody who hasn't wrestled in what 17, 17 plus years, man. So yeah, it's gonna be it's definitely gonna be interesting. What about you, Eric? As far as like, where does your um where does Bret Hart rank in your fandom? Is he someone that you sort of like you're you're quite high on? I'm definitely quite high on him. Whenever you go back and watch his matches, seeing the way he would wrestle, perhaps, I don't know if it would be uh, correct to say this is an underappreciated part of his game, but he is so great at selling uh, Mm -hmm. everything he does uh, offensively or defensively, however you want to word it, looks so real. He is... (laughs) People will go at his promos sometimes, but honestly, I always thought he came off like when you when you watch a promo from Brett's one of his title runs, perhaps he always comes off as very legitimate to me, like a legitimate athlete and a credible champion. Uh, as far as like how I'd rank him, it, it's tough to say because I think if you don't actually live through live through it, you're it's never going to have the same emotional weight, right? Like I can go back and watch uh, Bret Hart or Ric Flair or even say like Misawa or Kabashi. And I'm not going to have the same emotional attachment to what I'm watching as I would with uh, a modern day performer like a Brian Danielson or Kazuchika Okada, right? But mm-hmm. you can definitely go back and appreciate just how talented these type of people were at what they did. And Bret Hart, chief among them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I know in the documentary, so as you know, he didn't like talking and stuff like that. And But yeah, like I noted earlier, those... Um those promos he was cutting in 97 it was pittsburgh he said that was like um an enema into like washington or something like that and just mm-hmm. hilarious like going back and, and re-watching that stuff even today it's just um some real great stuff by uh brett there but um i suppose coming to the end now and um andrew 
obviously you're always a, a busy guy and you know doing lots of interviews and things like that and also all over post there what what other stuff have you been up to this month and what else can people check out from you yeah they, they can check out my, uh all my interviews at the andrew thompson interviews youtube channel um you know i got an, another interview coming out with a uh, baron black i'm very excited about that you know we're gonna be talking about the terminus two show and of course all the written work over at post you know doing some couple podcasts over there of course you know with my my, my good man martin and our, and our great guest the the, the the mma man himself the mma legend <laughs> mma writer slash legend uh, <laughs> eric mark eric mark and uh yeah we got the mma podcast week as well with myself uh nate and chris so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to you know hearing people talk about that as we praise keith lee's AEW debut very very excited to see keith you know back out uh back on back on these streets doing doing the things so yeah shout out to keith lee man very happy to see him out there but yeah that's all i got mark what about you eric what have you um had over this uh, past couple of weeks and stuff in terms of like your writing and uh your your reviews there's plenty of mma every week so if you want to <laughs> read my reports or listen to podcasts i'm on or whatever go to postwrestling.com you can follow me uh, on twitter at eric Marcotte 705 and you can talk to me at postwrestling.com slash discord as well a very lively community there talking about all sorts of things professional wrestling mma whatever Sudbury legend martin oh yes yeah, legend <laughs> Playing Sudbury, Ontario on the map. Uh, never yeah, it's it's me and Alex Trebek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As for me, as I noted at the start, got live show in Leeds on April the 3rd, Northern Monk Refectory. Absolutely brilliant venue. Tons of fantastic beer. Going to be a lot of great people. Uh, come hang out with me, Benno and the lads, and just have a, a cracking day because um, as of Thursday, I think, the UK is pretty much open for business so yeah no testing or anything so uh there you go so yeah just everyone's had a shit time the past couple of years so let off some steam join us in leeds and have a good have a have a good laugh get your tickets get your tickets indeed was it sold out grapplelab.com forward slash support no not quite sold out yet andrew um it's a big old room but uh, (laughs) watch watch your back neil i might come out put you in a sleeper watch your back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Andrew doing the running <laughs> you first day in the UK getting arrested for assault no, that'd be uh... come walk and put Neil in the Taz mission can you, can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine but like choking Neil out let me, let me stop I could do that to Neil. I might do that to Neil you never know I might come put Neil in the Taz mission man you never know uh, Neil Neil Eric might be with me too and we might come back and stop about Brown. you never know you just never I know a, Neil I have a lot of scores to settle from the up my trumpet <laughs> Yeah, we'd be all here all summer if Eric was settling all these fucking scores. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Everyone wants to take shots had, at the king, man. I didn't yeah, I didn't yeah. realize you were such a villain until I took part in that last next rumble. And everyone was like, eh, let me guess. I think I'll go for Eric because I hate him. And I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> People hate a hero in spite of yeah. everything that you do for them. Eventually, <laughs> so, they'll hate you. So they, they they disrespect a Sudbury, but that's all it is. That's all it is. Hey, and now, Eric, real quick, who, who's that? Who's I, I, his name? Sipping my man right now. Oh, is, is it Maddie B, the, the one who always comes after you? Is, is that is, is that who I'm? Uh, is that uh, Maddie, who I'm referring to? Maddie B is one of many. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 like I've been in the last couple up next game. This dude goes for Eric every time. It is hilarious, but like it, it's like pure comedy. 
and he gets tossed <laughs> out by Eric every time. Every time. <laughs> Very poor strategy on his part. I think oh, he knocked me goodness. out on that last one as well. I think it, uh, I was, uh, it could just tell that was my bad, not paying attention at all. The first question, and I answered it with the question from the with the answer from the last question. <laughs> David, like, that was literally the answer of the last question. I was like, oh, was it? Sorry, I was doing something else. <laughs> Pay more oh, attention next man. time if I uh, end up doing another uh, up next game. But anyway, uh, me and Andrew will be back. Same time next month and uh, BWE yep. in a couple of weeks. Live show in Leeds uh, if you're in the UK. or if, you... But when you scratch card, I'll get a scratch card tomorrow, Andrew. And, you know, if I win, I'll uh, I'll fly you out here so you can uh, take Neil on in person. Let's, let's do you, you talk in my language. You're talking my language. <laughs> let's, let's get it. Oh, yeah, real quick. I just want to plug this real quick, Martin. Everybody, we have on Post Wrestling, the Post Wrestling Network, we have three different interviews with Michael Oku. One from Martin himself on the British. Martin, I'm telling. I was I was joking with John. I was like, you might as well give uh, Michael Oku his own damn podcast on post now. Like, oh, <laughs> like he, he he's initiated, so like y'all might as well just go ahead and give him his whole thing. But Martin has one of the uh, British Wrestling Experience uh, podcast feed, and I think I believe it's also on the Post YouTube channel. Uh, Way and John have one uh, on on the Daily News show. Um, you know, we they dive deep into the match with Will Osprey, and I have one on my YouTube channel as well. Michael Oku. Post wrestling affiliated for one day. I mean, for for one whole week. The man was everywhere, literally everywhere. So go check out all the Michael Oku content on postwrestling.com. Oh, yeah. He deserved it after that match with Osprey. I was cracking that. And uh, yeah, glad to see him doing so well. But um, yeah, like I said, we and Andrew will be back next month. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time.